0: Right then, you ready to start? Yep. <clears throat> go on, Ralph Blanford.
1: Not seeing anything. Oh, come on, tell me a joke. Went to the zoo the other day, but there was only one dog there. It was a shit zoo. <laughs> that's good, that's good. Okay, you cracked.
0: <laughs> Historians in Ireland have discovered what they think is the headstone of the world's oldest ever living man. He was uh, 193 and his name was Miles from Dublin.
1: <laughs> Where did bad rainbows go? Prison. It's just a light sentence.
2: Is all this stuff going at the end? Did I did
0: I oh, did I ever tell you that my grandfather was a dyslexic baker in the army? He used to go in all buns glazing. Uh.
2: <laughs> right, come on. Podcast. Let's go. Let's oh, go.
0: Says so Captain twenty <laughs> minutes to plug all the wires into the right holes. <laughs> Hello and welcome to 361, a podcast about mobile technology and the world around it. My name's Ben Smith. I'm Rafe Blanford. And I'm Ewan McLeod. This is Season 21, Episode 4, and this week we're talking about Challenger Banks, FinTech, and how we manage our money. Chaps, welcome back. Hello, Ben. Good to be back. Uh Ralph Blanford. Yes, hello, hello. And you, McLeod, is also with us in the UK this time. I am currently. Yes, fantastic. We'll do life updates at the end, as is our new MO. As always. This week, gentlemen, we're going to talk about the sticky and slightly awkward business of money, something we haven't touched on very frequently in the show before, but it's time to put our big boy pants on and to be very grown up and talk about pennies. Yes. Nothing in this podcast constitutes financial advice, especially if it came from you and McLeod, he says, from personal experience. Come on. However, uh, we are going to talk about a bunch of products, primarily ones in the UK market that we're familiar with and where you're currently based, but we will do our best to mention things in other places as well.
2: We should also point out, Ben, that most of the things we're talking about have a, either a duplicate, a copy, or something very similar in many markets. So we'll talk about. Apps and services, but you know, the, the, most people have access. I think to similar, similar services.
0: That's a good shout. And actually, one of the reasons that uh, we wanted to talk about money this time around was in the spirit of, hey, you've been away for ages. What have you changed? One of the things that we came up with as that has changed quite a lot for all of us actually is what we were doing for banking, finance, advice, investment, all that kind of stuff. Yes. I want to say now to fend off any potentially disappointed parties, we won't be talking about crypto in this podcast today, and we'll talk about crypto another time. It's not a subject that particularly interests me, but I know it interests other people. I have opinions about it, but they will consume the time available for us to talk about (laughs) real financial products. Okay. Okay. So first of all then, let's just do a bit of a life update. Rafe Blanford, Mm. you're up first. Tell us some things that you've started using in the year or so that we've been away from a finance product, fintech product type standpoint.
1: Actually some of my core finance apps are similar to what they were a year ago. So I'm not going to talk about those except in, in passing, maybe when we got onto another topic. But one of the things I have done is had sort of more what I'd call companion apps in the finance space. And I've tried out a few things and some of them have stuck and some of them haven't. So starting with one of the things that stuck is actually the HMRC and NSNI apps, which For the uninitiated, that is Her Majesty's, or His Majesty's, I guess I should say now, Revenue and Customs. It is. Come on, Raph. That allows you to do your tax updates. And the reason that's interesting is previously it was all onto a web portal. It was a bit painful at times, and there's sort of government ID to deal with. It's all wrapped up nicely. So for the majority of what I need to do, which is checking for payments and rebates and a few tax code things, it works just great and it was actually just a shout out to you know government services i think they've done that well similarly with nsni and that's national savings and insurance which is a government investment investment exactly
2: but investment with the government
1: no i was correcting the name i
0: think it's nsni stands for national savings and investment thank you you are absolutely right ben all right right but it's the british government i just had a moment where i could correct Rafe blanford and i've now got my t-shirt over my (laughs) head doing a victory lap around my spare room.
1: And in in this case, it's the price checker for premium bonds. And it's just something that's worth mentioning. I think we'll come back to later. But again, it's just very simple. It works. So once a month, I use it to check rather than have to log in. And I I do have their mainstream app as well, which again, lets you check your accounts and things like that. Those have all stuck with me in the last year or so. And it was probably about this time last year where I was just sorting finance out. It was a sort of typical, oh, I should have done this back in April, but finally got round to it. And then the other thing I've been trying out is various budgeting apps including Emma and Snoop and a few others and actually they've been based on being able to connect things together using open banking but for various reasons they haven't stuck and yes I'm still using some of the fintech apps that we talked about last time so Monzo and Starling and then I added Tread to the collection and Tread is similar kind of neobank except this time it lets you offset carbon against your purchases and various other things and so that's its unique hook that one i haven't really stuck with because it didn't offer me quite enough of a compelling value exchange but it just reminded me how easy and quick it is for these relatively speaking for these neobanks to appear And I think that's, you know, more specialist neobanks is something I've seen quite a lot of in the last couple of years. So hold that thought. We will come back to those because I want to follow up on some
0: of those topics, particularly those budgeting apps. But you and McLeod, let's just do a quick lap for you now. I suspect yours are a little bit more eclectic because you've been overseas for a good chunk of the time we've been away. But what are you using or what are you trying out?
2: Yeah, uh, well, first of all, I think we should talk about open banking. Go ahead. Yeah. I mean, do we need to define that a little bit? If you're in the UK or Europe, There's many, many jurisdictions now have some degree of open banking, open finance capability. It's effectively government-led, typically, um, regulation that requires banks to give access to your data with your approval to third parties. In many cases, it also enables banks or third parties to, again, with your approval, take money out of your account, move money easily, quickly, somewhere. Now, every country has its own or is thinking about, typically, thinking about deploying some degree of open banking capability. But it is effectively the rails that many other applications that Rafe in particular has been talking about operate upon. So, being able to read your bank data, log in with your approval, check what you've been spending your money on, just look at all the transactions, and then do some really nice thinking, balance updates for you. It's very, very nice. Very, very helpful. Before open banking, or in some areas where there is no open banking, you either have to give the third party, so the app or the service, you have to give them read or in some cases full access to your banking. Now, many, many regions, or a a couple of regions in particular, the Nordics comes to mind. Before open banking, customers were so desperate to get access to this level of personal financial management, PFM information, that they were giving their bank credentials
0: to third parties. Yeah, I just wanted to jump in on that one, actually, and say, in previous episodes, we've talked about fintech stuff. And I'm pretty sure that early doors, when we talked about this, we were really cautious about it. Because however cool we thought the app was, it nearly always required you to give your banking username and password to a bunch of strangers on the internet, which was, you know, kind of inadvisable. And one of the Benefits, Although I appreciate you and, you know, kind of that's not the sole purpose. One of the great things about open banking is it's properly supported, you know, it's yes. properly endorsed by the banks. And so, yes. you know, you don't give anyone your password. It's a little bit like some of the online services where you might connect an app to upload photos or to a social yeah. media tool or something like that, where there's an API. So open banking has really, you know, kind of unlocked all of that. What particularly of interest have you jumped on to try?
2: So I think I may have talked about Plum in the past. Plum is an example of an open banking app that started in the UK. So I think it's available in a few European countries as well now. It's got over a million people using it on a regular basis. And like many of these types of apps, it takes information from your bank or your bank accounts, some multiple accounts. And then it, it it helps you understand what you're spending. And then it's got some really, really cool rules. So I, I want to give you an example of why I think Plum is awesome. Because what they've done is taken the user experience of banking, which is typically rather limited, and they, they've, they've added a zero. They've really upped it. They've, they've 10 times it and made it really quite exciting. So one of the things that I really like about Plum is they have a facility called Brain, which will help you save. Now, for example, rainy days is a feature I love. So this is all Plum users. I think you do have to subscribe for some of these. I pay, I think, 10 quid a month. I I've, I love it so much. I've got the premium, premium, ultra, ultra version. The Yuma Cloud package. There you go. When it's uh, raining in the UK, which it does tend to happen a lot, it will set money aside. Okay, so if it rains in the UK, the idea being when it rains here, we get quite depressed. We don't tend to go out or spend any money. So when it does rain in the UK, I have said, let me have a look and see what I've said. Yes, um, take two pounds out of my bank account on that day. Just save two pounds. Okay. Another really cool one is the 52-week challenge. And that's where across a year, you will save 1,378 pounds. And that's by starting with week one, it saves one pound. Week two, it saves two pounds. Week three, three pounds, blah, blah, blah. So. You know, by the end of the year, it's taking this money out of your account. Now in the UK, Plum uses direct debit capability to actually take the money out of your account. So it's it's very smooth. So every month or every in fact it's weekly actually, I think, Plum does this kind of saving for me. Now it's been amazing for me because I've saved tons of money. Tons of money. Because if you sat down and said to me, here's an entertaining way of saving money, I'm interested. If you said, look, you should try and save £1,300 a year, like, yeah, I know, I should. I should. And look, uh, you should probably save £250 a month or £500 a month or £100 a month. Yeah, yeah, I'll think about it. By doing it this way, making it really, really stimulating and fun, and then talking to me every day, giving me great encouragement. Yeah, I've saved this, you've done that, look at this. Very cool. Now, the next aspect with Plum, other apps are available, just particularly a big fan of this one is once you've set aside this money or saved this money, you can then do things with it. So by default, you can put it into an interest bearing account, or you can invest it. So I have it automatically buying Apple shares every week. So every week it buys me 50 quids worth of Apple shares. Dollar cost averaging just every week, doesn't matter what the price is, just buy 50 pounds of Apple shares, for example. I also have it investing a percentage of my money that it saves for me into various different exchange-traded funds, so funds tracking, technology stocks, and
0: so on. And can I just, sorry, just interrupt you there, uh, dollar cost averaging, which is a term that you throw out, just blasé, we ought to just define that. That's a concept where when you're investing for the long term yes. and you're investing continuously, yes. you don't worry whether the market is up or down particularly. What you do is you optimise for saving for a long period of time, That's and it. because you're not watching the market being up or down, Sometimes when you invest, you get more for your money. Sometimes when you invest, we get less. But what That's you it. do is you get the average value of something over time. Yes, And it's a great deal more complicated than I've made it out to be there. That's a beautiful explanation. But I think it's just a, a, a way to basically say, I don't have to go and look up the price. I don't have to worry yeah. whether today is a good day to buy something because... I am across
2: the year, across the five years, the 10 years. But also, yeah.
0: I'm a novice investor, so I will never time my investments You know, to get like good rewards. I don't have expertise to time my investments, so I'll just put as much money in as I can and I'll benefit from saving for a long time. I think a lot of these tools that you were describing are great for set it and forget it. This is really important. You know, kind of like almost passive investing, because yeah. then- you know, kind of, it's almost happening by magic and you forget that this money is being squirreled away. Sorry, I cut you off, but I thought it was an interesting term for people to learn.
2: No, thank you. Thank you, Ben. I would challenge anyone to say, look, shouldn't you do the one pound, you know, the 52 week challenge? And most people go, yeah, okay. Yeah. All right. Now in week 52, when it's taking 52 pounds out of your account, that might be a little annoying. Okay. But you have saved 1358 pounds, dollars, reals, whatever. Yeah, I challenge anyone listening to say, well, that's not a good idea. It's the kind of thing where you set and forget. It's a great way of saying, okay, at least I will have that money saved. And now, you know, there's a whole lot more features in Plum. I do like their splitter capability. That's where you can actually, you can say, okay, every week, month, whatever, when money comes in, when you're saving money with all these different tools and concepts and games, basically, I want 20% to go here, 5% to go into the interest account, and another 20% to go onto technology stocks. Et cetera, et cetera. Really, really cool. That I know it sounds like an advert, but other apps and services offer very, very, very similar capabilities. So I wanted to give a picture of how I really like this particular one. It's not the only one I use, but you know, I like that user experience. I like the way that, that you know it's so much different from traditional banking. And when I speak to bankers, people that do banking for a living, they say that, yeah, yeah, obviously we offer this. You know, Banks don't tend to offer this, right? Because it's, yeah. It's about that customer experience, that excitement and that feeling that set and forget. Because obviously anyone who has a current bank account and a savings account can do this themselves, right? You can go, oh, it's raining. I better move two pounds. You're not going to do that, right? And if you say, look, Rafe, I think you should save 500 pounds a month. Well, that sounds like a lot of cash, right? But actually, if you gamify, if you make it justified in the context of entertainment and experience then you'll do it. But just setting aside £500 a month is something that often many people will not do.
0: Yeah, actually, I've hit the same concept in terms of this idea of kind of invisible investing or invisible saving. But I'm coming at it from a slightly different way. But Rafe Blanford, before I, I reel off mine, you wanted to chip in.
1: Yeah, I was just going to say, you and talked about Plum extensively there. Emma does a similar thing. There's also Snoop. There you go. And I think what's interesting about them is this open banking, which basically is import your data make it easy and yeah most of the mainstream high street or old banks do that now as well it's what you then do with it and i actually referenced i'd sort of uh, tried emma and then given up on it in the last year they put a big focus on growth and so they added things like investment and savings and it kind of switched me off a little bit because actually i was doing that myself with other things and we, we may come back to that later Whereas I think Plum has very much focused on that automatic thing and a bunch of other things. And then Snoop is actually very much about doing an analysis of the payments going through and it will do things like group all your subscriptions together. So SpotFlix, good idea. Spotflix, Spotify, Netflix, Spotflix. <laughs> yeah, the famous audio and TV streaming service. That portmanteau, yeah. yeah. And it was a really great way of saying, oh, wow, I've actually got 10 subscriptions. Which ones am I going to cut back on? And it's data that was already there, but it's this old chestnut of presenting it in the right way. So it's very interesting seeing the different product strategies. Snoop go a little bit further and they look for ways to save you money. So they will do the switching of your utility bills and various other things. And they call these Snoop. So basically it's making recommendations in a very kind of attractive card-like fashion. They do various other things as well. What's notable, all of these apps actually charge a subscription and it ranges from a couple of pounds a month up to i think it's about 120 or 140 pounds for the kind of top tier on emma and that was something else that kind of put me off per year yeah per year right, right i'm kind of happy to do about experiment with 25 pounds because it's sort of saving me time and effort but i think what's has stood out for me in using these is someone has thought very carefully about the features that the banks aren't doing and this really only works when you aggregate things together especially if you've got either multiple accounts or a credit card or something like that where you may have different things going out of different accounts and i appreciate everyone's money management will be different but thinking about that carefully the kind of table stakes that i think when we last talked about this it was the kind of monzos and the starling give me a better listing of my current account give me virtual cards and saving pots where the innovation has switched to is providing intelligence on top of that and i'm pretty sure that you predicted that that would happen that everyone would kind of rise to the same level. And so actually if you look in whether that's Barclays or choose your bank account, you actually do get that better listing of payments. You know, it will interpret that short code, turn it into something just like Monzo did and that was like the big hook for Monzo. Oh, I can see what I'm actually spending money on, not just Barclays 414 or whatever it happened to be. And so it's sort of that trend for me is the interesting thing here. I am yet to be completely convinced that it will go mainstream because i've seen plenty of research that suggests that most people don't care so i do wonder what the size of that addressable market is for that kind of money management but what these companies have tried to do is break it down into bite-sized pieces to completely reduce the amount of thinking friction that you have to do and so it almost becomes gamified as to oh you'll do that or you'll try that and i think once you do it a couple of times oh i'm saving 10 pounds a month or I'm doing that. And I'm just starting to see the signs of that in the investment and savings space. I think not least because the economic situation has changed. So suddenly people can do these smaller transactions and actually get something. And I suspect that's what we're going to spend some of the podcast talking about later. But I did just want to highlight multiple ones out there, yeah. different focuses on the product. Some have been you know, successful, set for growth. And It's this old thing like pick the one that works for you because you can do free trials with all of them. Open banking makes it very easy to get that data in and get set up very rapidly. It's a big contrast to I think when we last talked about this, we talked about you need a budget and the amount of effort that needed to go into setting something like these up. Oh, yeah. Do you remember that? Yeah. What these budgeting tools do is like you can actually be up and running in a matter of you know three or four minutes. Are you still using that, Ben?
0: Yeah, I want to jump on that, actually, because I, um, I'll come to that first. It wasn't, it wasn't first on my list, but I'll come to that first. So for those unfamiliar, I love and have championed You Need a Budget for a long time. Dot com, right, that's the name. Yeah. It's often used the acronym YNAB, and it's a style of budgeting called envelope budgeting, which is not new because it dates back to the time where you literally would take your money and put it into an envelope, and you create different envelopes. For different things that you want to budget for. And the idea is that you say, I know Christmas is coming and I know that I want to save up money to buy the kids' presents. So rather than having an awful December when all of a sudden I have all of this expense, or rather than raiding the savings account and just cleaning myself out, I'm going to make an informed decision about this will be my Christmas budget. And from January, I will put one twelfth of that money away. And that's great because then at Christmas, I've got that money saved up and I'm ready to go. The other thing might be you say well I am going to put 50 quid a month into an account for maintaining the car and you say well but what happens if the car doesn't break down and you know that envelope starts to fill up well once I have my budget filled up I can raid that envelope I can take that money out mm. and I can put the excess somewhere else so it's not mindlessly just filling up envelopes but the nice thing is that particularly for me because I've recently become a sort of salaried employee again I get a, the same amount of money into my bank account every payday. And what I want to do is to reliably portion it out to all the places. Now, Rafe was right. You, I mean, I, I love that approach, but it was a little bit admin heavy in terms of once you've set up those budgets, what the tool encourages you to do is to say, you know, these transactions that you've up, you, you uploaded your bank statement, and it says, was this groceries, was this, you know, shopping, was this petrol, whatever the, the budgets that you might have set up for your family or your, your lifestyle but it was a bit painful. So the upload and the categorization process now has some sort of, I'm not going to use the word, I don't think it's AI, but it's a lot smarter now in terms of remembering. So once you've coded a transaction, it remembers what you've done and offers it as a prompt for the future, which of course is great because most of us spend the same thing, you know, the supermarket is always groceries. The petrol station is always fuel for the car, you know, so on and so forth. So that repeats that. What I have started to do, Is I know that all of my set aside every month for my budget bills, saving up for our holiday, saving up for Christmas, all that kind of stuff, it amounts to a certain amount. And so I take that money and I put that into one of the virtual pots in my bank account, in my bank, because my bank allows me to make spaces and virtual accounts. And one of the innovations in the last year that's been really useful is that with Monzo, but I think it's true with other banks as well, is I can now have a virtual debit card attached to that pot. So I no longer have to mix all my money up. I know every month that I'm going to put two thirds of my income saved away for the mortgage and the car and Christmas and, 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 and all those things. I move it once into the uh, the working pot. I've got a virtual card that I can create now that I can give all those services that bill me for all the things that we use. And it just keeps it nice and clean. It's still in my bank account. I can still use it. I don't have to go as far as creating a separate bank account and logging in differently. And I really like that. And it's really made things a lot easier because now I know that that pot, I don't touch. Every penny in that pot is the pot that's already spoken for. Yes, got a job. Yes. And then I can make another pot, which is fun money, which is when I filled up my pots enough to pay for all the things I'm anticipating and I might have a little bit left over or the car doesn't break down or I spend less than I expected on flights for the summer holiday and I've got a few quid left over, I can put that in the fun pot. And now I know everything in the fun pot when we go on a day out or we have a treat or we see something that we want to buy ourselves we say, oh, well, actually we do. We can reward ourselves with something nice because I've got a very clear view of what's must spend and what's optional spend. And there are lots of different ways of doing that. But the fact that I can create lots of pots, but crucially now spend directly from them so I don't have to mingle the money all back together again in order to make the payments. Are you using... YNAB to track all this? So, YNAB tells me what I should set aside every month, what I need to put aside. Oh, okay. But then, actually, you can use whichever bank you like to set it aside because you know, as long as those transactions go from the part. The other thing that I've done, and perhaps I just always think too small compared to you, Ewan, is you talked about like the saving and forgetting about it. You know, if mm. I'm paying a game or those kinds of things, I've got just the roundup turned on. So I've got a little thing where my bank, I use Monzo, every transaction, it rounds up. If I spend fifteen pounds 10 pence, it comes through as a transaction of 16 pounds on my bank account, puts the 90p in a savings account for me. And then Mm. every six months I look in there and it's perhaps massed up, you know, 50, 60, 70, 80 pounds. And then I put that in my son's savings account for the future. You know, we've, he's got a, uh, when he's grown up account, and I just put it in there. And that's a really nice way for me to, I don't notice, you know, you don't notice 50p extra, you don't yeah. notice 60p extra. That's the
2: excitement. Yeah.
0: But with all the transactions, it adds up. and It's a really nice way for me to do something kind of passively I forget about. Mm. A bit like Rafe, you know, I've got other things. I mean, <laughs> I've got a mortgage to pay. You know, there's lots of things that we do that is consciously saving or managing our money, but this is just a nice one. Where it could have just it just messes up in the background. And it's sort of a nice treat for him, and it lets us have something different. In the past, before I was saving it for him, it would be our um, takeaway money. You know, that's the what we'll treat ourselves. You know, because it's almost like a sort of a, a, it's constrained. Yeah. So I, I really liked that. Just one more before I shut up. I've really liked is Chip. Now it does lots of the same things that you talked about as Plum doing. You and it offers interesting investments accounts and savings accounts, but it's almost like this is not how they market themselves. And Rafe, you might be able to add a bit of light to this, but to me, it feels like a marketplace of savings products and investment products. And so when I go into CHIP, it says, would you like to put money into an ISA, which for people outside the UK is a tax-free savings product? Would you like to put money into a normal savings account? Would you like to lock it away for six, nine, 12 months, two years, five years? And you can sort of scroll around and look at the products and there's even a gamified one where it says, would you like to save, get no interest, and possibly win a prize, You know, and all these sorts of things, and you can pick. And I'm not particularly excited about the novel products. I just like the fact I can look on there. I can see some nearly best-in-market offerings. Options, yeah. And you know that money that you need to have for the rainy day fund, but it needs to be available to you right now, it sits in there. It's available through the app. Open Banking can have it in my real bank account to spend in about 30 seconds from me pressing a button. And it lets me shop around for the best rates on the market to get a little bit of interest. You know, I mean, it's, the interest rates still aren't historically high, but I get a bit of interest far better than any of my actual banks would offer me. So I really liked that. And for me, the thing that tipped me over into using Chip, and we should, I suppose, we should talk about this, was the safety they. Basically, said, Well, you've teamed up with a real bank. So now when we hold your money, it's protected by all the same guarantees that a real bank gives you. And in the UK, yes. that's £85,000 in a single account is guaranteed by a government backed scheme. That's thought, so great. I'm no longer worried about losing my money with this startup failing, whereas before I was, would have been a bit anxious.
1: Hmm. And I don't know whether that's the confidence in kind of FinTech in general has come on, but actually when we were talking about the early days of Monzo and some of the others, they didn't have banking licenses or they were based on kind of visa debit cards and things like this. Chip is FCS protected, which is the kind of the government regulator, and I'm very clear about it being protected up to eighty five thousand pounds. And for a little while
0: what they were saying was don't worry, you don't have a government-backed guarantee, but we promise we'll offer you an equivalent guarantee. And I was like, no, 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 <laughs> because you're a startup; you could go under any day. Now, it's not until I see you know a real government-backed guarantee that you could have anything more than my you know coppers. Yes,
1: exactly. And, and you described it as a marketplace, but I, I think that's actually accurate. What it allows you to do is do some of those investment decisions around ISAs or kind of savings account very easily and uh, you commented there the thing that really caught my attention yeah in a couple of seconds you can have it back in another bank account, whether that's high street or another kind of neobank or fintech startup i actually think it's that kind of instant ability to move money and like there's a lot of stuff that's gone on behind the scenes to make that really easy it's not you know wait a couple of hours but what convinced me to use chip was actually the interest rates are going up and historically they've been very low but you know in the last year or so we've started to see the response to inflation from the Bank of England. And in the case of CHIP, they will often update the interest rate almost on a day-by-day basis. So when the base rate goes up from the Bank of England, that's kind of the central bank people are unaware. Like right now it's at four point two one percent AER. So you know that actually means a thousand pounds, forty two pounds, ten pence in the year. That's actually pretty attractive compared to your High Street Bank where, you know, you have to lock it in it's slower it's behind and i think the other important thing for me at least is that there tend not to be limits on it so it's not an introductory rate it's not you can put in that much and so that flexibility it's almost like someone's gone what's the best offer we can do on saving investments thought about it presented it in a nice package so yeah i'm a fan of chip too
0: and actually, I'm glad you brought that up, Rafe, because when we were talking about when we were planning this episode out, I was saying, oh, this is great. You should use this. It's got the best you know, open access savings rate in the UK market, which is basically what most people want, which is interest for savings, but without any restrictions or locking it away. And then we looked on our respective apps and realized that actually, since I last looked, they'd put the rate up again. And there was an email notifying me that they put the rate up. And so for me, aside from access to lots of different products and very quick ability to get a nice range of products. I love the fact that the speed at which they move is daily or hourly. Whereas even some of the FinTech banks that I use for my normal banking, they're not adjusting their rates perhaps on a weekly or a monthly basis. And it's all a lot slower. And so as someone who, you know, kind of remembers the days when there weren't many pennies, you know, when we left left university and money was a bit slim and you would every week think about how can I economise and I in the UK if you're not subscribed to Martin Lewis's Money Saving Expert website you're missing out because there's you know just an abundance of brilliant financial advice there and I used to really carefully read the best products and very you know laboriously move my banking move my products around to try and eke out you know the best value and I think this now gives me the ability to do that but without quite a lot of the legwork you know it, it's a great deal easier one more thing that I just wanted to flag was in the UK you know we all have various tax-free savings allowances and things. And one of the things that I've most appreciated there was open banking allows various apps to record what money do you have saved in different places. And then that tells you, you know, oh, it's coming up to the end of the tax year. If you have money you'd like to save, put it into your tax-free account now to use up this year's allowance. Really good. But crucially, this is how much you have. Because you know if you are somebody who does anything more than just one bank one provider you might have your allowance being used up in multiple places or you might have multiple people's allowances to manage and so yeah i've really appreciated that because actually i genuinely did get a prompt from i, I use interactive investor which is ii.co.uk which is where i have my pension for example and various things like that i got an email from them saying you haven't used all of your isa allowance just uh, around the end of march this year and i genuinely had got my own sums wrong and mistaken. So you know that allowed me to make better choices. Before we move on, there's two other types of financial services I'm using that we haven't touched on, and I want to cover them because I think other people will be as well. Credit cards. Mm. So we haven't talked about any credit cards. And I have to say, I am in the fortunate position, uh, there's no other to say it, that whilst I do spend through credit cards, I don't tend to use them for borrowing. I tend to use them as a convenient way to Pay online and particularly in the UK and in other markets to get protection for my purchases because when you buy with a credit card, there are certain regulations that apply about the product and the, and the relationship you have with the retailer. I've sort of been surprised and disappointed that what happened to banks didn't happen to. I didn't. Where's the monzo of credit cards, Rafe? You know, like mm. there was never really a fintech that successfully launched a credit card, there was a few that promised. And then the other day I was browsing the trade press, as one does, and I noticed that actually Monzo have won best credit card of the year in some banking awards. I thought, well, how can they have won that? They don't have a credit card product, but their buy now, pay later products, which is, you know, lots of people will know Klarna, where you can sort of choose to pay a transaction in, come on, you and help me out, three, six, nine months. Is that the choices you normally get?
2: Yes, yes. But it does depend on the retailer and yeah, yeah. So, something like that.
0: Yeah. But essentially, at the point of transaction, you sort of say, this is how I want to pay for it. And there's a kind of an immediate mini it credit agreement. It. Exactly. Yeah. It's signed up there. And I'd never really thought of that as a credit card, because for me, the other side of credit cards was always the most important thing, was the fact that you know, the retailer will give you refunds and the transaction was protected and those kinds of things. So is the whole concept of credit cards kind of going to go by the wayside, Rafe? Do you think there won't be credit cards in the open banking sort of? Challenge a bank world because actually, you know, what I was getting from credit cards was always a bit of a byproduct anyway. It wasn't really the main feature because I think a lot of people use them the way I do.
1: I think a lot of people do, but it is a few things still remaining, like the consumer protection that we've talked about before. And some of them are also packaged products, which is maybe the last thing we can touch on.
0: Put a pin in that idea.
1: But for most people, I think. The banks have, you know, and whether it's the buy now, pay later, or kind of even something as simple as the statements and the app sometimes being a little bit better. And then this kind of almost death of plastic cards in favor of contactless or stuff on your phones. And I, that's not complete yet. And I am definitely looking into the future. But from my understanding, a lot of it is the credit cards have very significant liabilities against them. And they, therefore, to do Huge. that as a startup you find it difficult whereas for a bank it just becomes something else on the balance sheet and you know it is noticeable that a lot of the fintech startups and the new banks still struggling to kind of make real margin or profit and so they have got into other things and whether that's looking at mortgages looking at savings looking at investments
2: price plans
1: yeah from some of the data i've seen people don't adopt them what they're after is a better bank account and for most people, that's good enough. So, I still think, despite you know all the activity and it's definitely scaled, there is some unsustainability about the number of fintech startups and the number of neobanks floating around. I mean, even the you know the heroes of the industry, Monzo and Starling, are clearly struggling in some places, and the different products they've launched is indicative of that. And I just think the barrier to entry for credit card is just that much bigger. I mean, if you also look at the tech stack or the banking infrastructure underneath it, I'm sure Ewan could talk to this better than I can. I think actually the ability to kind of have a bank out of the box is there, having a credit card out of the box because of all those liabilities and regulation is just not there. And I don't think there's enough value for the user in in most cases because, dare I say, credit cards are kind of a product of the 20th century and it's changing in the 21st century because of the improvement of all the things we've just been talking about are more valuable than that kind of advance on your money.
0: I think Rafe just called me old is what happened there. I think he might have done, yes. So I want to put very quickly a pin in mortgages and to say that I think probably this is a topic we could come back to another time. So fortunate that we're buying our home (laughs) with the help of a bank and you know we have a mortgage as many people in the UK do if you're buying a home. I used... Actually, I didn't get my mortgage from them, but when we were comparing options, I used Habito, which is a sort of a an online tool to compare mortgage products and to sort of get kind of some interactive sort of robot type advice. In the end, though, I was really disappointed that actually the best offer, cheapest deal came from a traditional human broker. So that felt disappointing because it ruined my theory that you know all of these tools, all of these startups would do a better job. But what I have really enjoyed... Well, okay. What I have really found useful is Monzo have added a feature recently where I can add my mortgage into my banking app. And I was really amazed at how easy this was to do. I gave them a very small amount of data and they used the other information they already held about me and said, hey, is this your mortgage? And it was exactly the correct one. It was great. <laughs> now I can see my mortgage in my banking app. And strangely, and you know, you were talking about kind of being prompted to save continuously, sort of yes. invisibly. Well, seeing that number in there and sort of seeing the little bar chart of, you know, you are this far away from being done, (laughs) every so often it prompts me to go, oh, I won't make that transaction. I'll put it in the savings pot. You know, I'll, I'll do an extra payment on my mortgage. Interesting. It's nice though as well, because you can see the progress and you can see this is when you're forecasting to end your mortgage. And of course, it's a simple question, which is when will I have paid off my mortgage? But it's also quite hard to calculate because if like us, you yes, change it's quite serious. Yes. where you change yeah, mortgages yeah. every five years, the amount you pay every month might stay the same, but the speed you pay it off might vary because the mortgage rate would have gone up or down or whatever. You know,
2: Do you get overcalculation
0: fees. Yeah, yeah. Does it give you an over? Exactly. That it has an excellent tool that says if you put hundred pounds extra a month or ten pounds extra a month, it's really good actually at making the numbers small and saying ten pounds extra a month would shave this many months off the end of your mortgage. And it kind of prompts you to action because wow. you think, well, I haven't got five hundred pounds or a thousand pounds spare every month, but I could spare a tenner, you know, if I just I could just press that button now and save ten pounds extra a month and you know to paying off that debt that I have.
2: Well what's interesting by the way, if you do that, then you're technically overpaying. Right? Yes. Which some banks will value that differently. Right? Some banks the computer systems, some banks yes. have to qualify that. We'll view that very positively, even just a tenner,
0: yeah well, one thing we did actually before we had family, we had different <laughs> financial arrangements, and we were <laughs> able to pay a little bit extra off against our mortgage and Then when the pandemic came and we were worried about jobs and stuff, I was really calm well, calmer than I would have been because I knew that we could take a holiday and sort of we'd put in more than we, we needed to yes and the great thing was that that tracker, it wasn't just this vague sense of kind of, oh, I've probably done a good thing, I'll probably be fine. It's click, click. Oh yeah, there you go. I've overpaid this much. I can know that if the worst happens, you know, I don't have to make a mortgage payment for two months because I overpaid in the past when, you know, when we had a good year and we didn't have an expensive small person eating all our money.
2: What's interesting listening to you there, Ben, is nothing you're talking about here is new fancy created, right? That data exists. I think it is though. Sorry, my my point was the data was already there ten years ago, twenty years ago. Precisely, yes. And if you phone someone and said, "Sorry, could you tell me?" Then they would go, oh wait, wait a minute, let me have a look. Let me have. and they may not actually have a system on screen to be They have to go yeah 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 carry the one. Here is the answer. So just presenting that data. That's a very big lesson I think for banks in particular. It can really be changing, life changing.
0: Well, I'll tell you a story. So the U.S. mortgage market is very different, but in the U.K. The longest time that you can fix a mortgage interest rate for tends to be five years. There are some outlier products, but generally five years in, in normal mortgage products. I know it's a hugely different in other markets. And I've recently gone through that change and I've changed bank and now my mortgage is with a different bank because I got a better rate. But when I rang my old mortgage provider and said to them, Can I just check how much I've overpaid and how much I'm allowed to before you charge me a penalty? Because there is a small amount you are able to add on before it actually they, they charge you a penalty. Yes. They, He couldn't tell me. He said, you need to wait until the end of the financial year, and then our computer will calculate it, and then I'll tell you how much allowance you have for the next year. (laughs) And in the end, I just did a spreadsheet of my own, as you'd imagine. But Mm. I kind of think where we were disagreeing there was not, yes, the information has always been available, but it's right there on my phone in a graph I can understand as a normal human being now. And for me, that is a feature, even though all it's done, and again, I'm kind of doing my bunny ears quotes all it's done is take things that are already known and presented them in a different way. We're horribly over time, and I want to wake Blanford back up, because just before we finish, I want to talk about packaged products. Now, that is, I think, probably an industry term, turnbree for when you get a whole bunch of services along with your banking product. And I always thought of this as quite an old-fashioned thing, that You know, kind of premium bank accounts came with some insurance or some access to an airport lounge. You know, American Express would give you that or or something, and that they've been around for a long time. And actually, in the UK, mis-selling of packaged products even meant that some customers got you know sort of um, rebates, and there was a bit of a scandal around it. But I'm seeing more and more of the challenger banks offering packaged products. I mean, the Monzo premium package that I've signed up to is I think 15 pounds a month and offers travel insurance and mobile phone insurance. Why do we keep coming back to this idea of bundling all these financial services together?
1: I think it's about what I said earlier, there wasn't much differentiation between, you know, a bank app does what a bank app does. They've all come up to the kind of basic standards of what you get. But also, it's a way to make money that is going to be more significant than small amounts of interest on current account deposits and things like that. And so most of these bundles, actually, the bank is being paid or getting a very good deal out of you so whether that's an insurance thing or an airport lounge thing they've basically got a captive audience and they know that most people don't use all the benefits in the package so basically um some actuarial people would have done a calculation equation to work out that that 15 pounds a month that both of us are paying to monzo premium works out and actually i suspect monzo make a fiver on it or something like that which may not sound like very much but a fiver a month But over millions of customers can potentially get very interesting yeah i think from a consumer point of view you used to get this with banks and i mean when i opened my first bank account with lloyd's i got very excited that i got a um, money saving tin that actually sorted my coins into different categories and then when i had my uh, student bank account i got some deal on a young person's rail card or something like that so it's been around as you say forever I was a Griffin saver with the Midland Bank. <laughs> oh, there we go.
0: Before they were acquired by HSBC, and they gave you a sports bag Ooh. and a wallet. And I can't remember. Yeah, it was wow, good stuff. Yeah, and I think my four pound fifty I put in that account didn't pay for it. Yeah,
1: <laughs> I would say it's just more attuned to digital, and so a lot of these bundles now are things that give you discounts on digital services. And actually, for me, it was the travel insurance and the phone insurance from Monzo that made it worth having because otherwise i'd be going and buying them separately and i i don't care quite enough about those products to go and do it individually and then there were a few other things on it but that's kind of like the high level summary but it's interesting when we were preparing for this episode you and talked about Revolut ultimate and how he just went and bought it straight away ultra and then ultra, baby. Cards, ultra i'm sorry so i think one of the new things is the more premium package services has, has come along because there's a few of you know the standard bank accounts, and it's kind of Barclays Blue and a few others doing things where you're paying £5, £10, pounds, £15 pounds a month. And yeah, it's all about making money. So don't think the banks are being benevolent. But Ewan, uh, what's mm. so appealing about Revolut Ultra for you? And what are you getting out of it? Well, quite apart from the positive, fluffy feeling
2: that does appeal to me, if you've been following the podcast for a long time, I do like these kind of things. What sold it for me is, so someone somewhere in Revolut, in the product team, has been doing their homework on people like me. So I was a Revolut Metal subscriber. Was it 10 or 12 pounds a month? I think it was. And you got lots of various different generic, I say generic, benefits that many others offer. Insurance, lounge access, and so on. And they've come to market with Ultra, which instead of 10, 12-ish per month, is 55 pounds. Or equivalent in dollars and so on, fifty five pounds a month, and this is the first neo bank offering where I, I've seen real. It feels like value, right? So of course you expect insurance and blah blah, right? These are quite hygiene now. If you're paying a tenner a month for any bank, incumbent or otherwise, just as you've been mentioning. But what they've done with Revolut Ultra, they said, ah, you look like someone who needs a Financial Times subscription. You look like someone. Who needs a WeWork subscription? You look like someone who needs a NordVPN subscription, and you're so athletic. You're someone who needs a Freeletics subscription, and while we're at it, ClassPass, Sleep Cycle, and PixArt. Now, the one that stood out for me was Financial Times, just because Financial Times you t- can't really get that many discounts on Financial Times, and it, it is quite expensive per month. The FT, and I, I do like the FT. I strongly recommend it as a source of general news not just financial news but that's that's 55 pounds a month for financial times generically right you can get one or two offers now and again but it's about 50 odd depending on the region right per month so for me i went oh justified so the ft for me justified it but you know the the, the product team at Revolut will have sat down and gone, okay hold on a minute let's speak to the ft let's see how much will they give us you know if we buy a lot of these okay so let's assume it's three pounds i don't know I'm making this up three pounds five pounds or one pound per month. Because this, this is just good money for the FT because you're either a subscriber or not. And then they've done the same with WeWork, the same with Pixar. WeWork, I think you get so many free passes to any WeWork office. NordVPN, you get the, the subscription for their, their VPN service. All of this bundling, blah, 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 £55 a month. And all the usual stuff that you're expecting. They do have, they've do they've come up with something else, which I do wonder. needs to cancel your trip. No problem get up to £5,000 back on trains, flights, hotels, accommodations and events for any reason. So theoretically, right, you're meant to be able to go, right, I'm going to use my Revolut card to buy up to £5,000 worth of travel. And then you can go, I didn't mean it. Change my mind. I've changed my mind. And then they'll give you, I I don't think, they. I think it's 80% or something like that. It doesn't say on the webpage, but I looked at the terms and conditions. They'll give it most of it, it'll cancel it,
0: right? Because crucially... Normal travel insurance will insure you against, you know, sort of the flight being cancelled or the hotel burning down. But as I think the term is, disinclination to travel is not insured. Yes. If you just don't fancy it anymore, tough luck. Yes. So this
2: complete flexibility is really interesting because if that works as it's meant to, because they, they're very clearly saying insurance terms and conditions apply, that's quite appealing. I think there's probably a fair use policy there, but it, it, that's interesting, right? Unlimited lounge access, because Metal, I think, it was a few per month for the Metal price plan. This one is unlimited lounge access. More insurance, they do a 1% cash back on every transaction with Ultra. That's capped to that £55, so you can earn a maximum of £55, so essentially free. That's interesting as well. And, and I don't know how much this matters when you're using Apple Pay all the time, right? But they do give you a very, very nice... Platinum looking card, very very nice. <laughs> I've taken photos. I've done an unboxing
0: for you. Oh, I'd like to see it. I, I was I was yeah. always I was very excited about. It um, Comes in a glass case. Wow, I was excited about my metal Monzo card, which is what you get when you're a premium customer. But yeah, I don't think it comes out of my wallet now because I just use Apple Pay all the
2: time. That's the thing, right? But I, I do use my card when I'm abroad. Well, I use it so it's in my pocket just in case.
0: I think that the thing that's interesting here is I was getting a bit bored of packaged products and was a bit ready to write them off as a necessary evil or just another boring thing, but I wasn't going to include them in this episode because I have some packaged products with American Express who have been offering the same thing forever, which, you know, depending on what product you get, you can have some travel insurance and you could have lounge access mm-hmm. and those kinds of things. And Monzo Premium offers you some access to airport lounges and some travel insurance and some phone insurance. And Curve, which is a product I've not mentioned during the show, but mm. we talked about a lot in previous episodes. They added a premium product; it was the same. I was like, "Well, even the high street banks, you know, travel insurance and mobile phone insurance, and maybe some other things like that—they're fine. I mean, sometimes those products are good value for what you need and fine buy them, you know. But they weren't innovative. But I think what's interesting and what Revolut have done is it feels like a, a very unusual selection of products, and actually." Yes. I mean, okay, we're a particular demographic and a particular type of customer, but for those people, potentially quite desirable, because until recently, I did have an FT subscription. It was a business expense. I needed- Did you? Yeah. Interesting. And I do go places and need somewhere to make work phone calls. And so you know, occasional access to WeWork is quite appealing and so on and so forth. And it's interesting that, okay, I do need travel insurance and I do need mobile phone insurance, but everybody offers those. But like you, I was sort of intrigued by Revolut Ultra because they're adding a different set of products. I guess what I'm curious about though is are those other institutions not offering those products because Revolut have kind of locked down exclusive deals and this is the only way that you'll get that combination of products? Or is it actually just that nobody else has thought of it?
2: Yeah, I think they just bought in bulk. Yeah,
0: yeah. Because as we record this, it's very noticeable that Monzo have emailed all their customers to say that the insurer. That they use behind the insurance on their premium products is changing. And it's changing to a company called Cover, which is Q O V E R, which is a kind of a, an API based insurance company that provides insurance to retailers and financial service providers. And it's exactly the same one that Revolut uses. And it's exactly the same one. So it's almost as if it's not just a case that the product looks like it's going to be the same, it's the same insurer behind with many of the same terms and conditions. And so, in some respects, these products are becoming very common and homogenous. And in other respects, in a, uh, for at least for a while, Revolut have added something unusual. So, it's interesting. I think the only thing that stands out here, what you were saying, is I tried to price up buying these things individually. And I think at the moment it's quite hard. So, I think the most attractive package products for me are when you can't buy those individual products. So, for example, Right, I don't think you can get a WeWork subscription that is that small. Right, and that sounds a bit counterintuitive. Yes, but I don't want to go and pay fifty quid a month for a WeWork desk because I only need to pop in
2: now and again. Yes,
0: once in a blue moon to use it. So you know, kind of, I want an ad hoc service. And the other thing to say actually is that as an American Express customer, I constantly wonder whether or not that's good value for me because quite a lot of the travel benefits that were brilliantly useful pre pandemic. We just don't travel in the same way to the same places anymore. Yes, And now, you know, my needs have completely changed and it might be time to reevaluate that. But certainly packaged products is really interesting. I think the other thing here is I noticed that Revolut have now got five tiers of products as well. Yeah. So, you know, with a lot of the other banks, it's normal product or packaged product. Revolut have actually got, you know, quite a lot of different variations.
2: There's a a lot of science going on, I think, here. And, you know, yeah. It used to be that, on average, you would assume between ten to thirty percent of customers would upgrade, would pay. That's when it was binary: pay or free. I don't know the current stat for Revolut, but I, I wonder. And you know, Rafe had mentioned a five pounds a month or something like that. I think it was Rafe mm. in, in terms of revenue. You know, if your bank or it doesn't matter any, your financial institution is earning five pounds a month out of you, that is really, really good. A lot of people say, oh, I, "I, I, I have my business with them. I've been." Banking with this bank for X years, well, actually, if you've got £200 in your account and you use the account, you do one transaction a month, Yeah, you know, the bank earns nothing. Pennies. Oh, you've got my money. Well, yeah, no. Let's do what is X 1% or you know, 1.5% of £200. Yeah, I can't. That's not helping me much. Where you're know, £5 a month you know, by quite a lot of consumers, that, that adds up. You know, in terms of income, that's really,
0: really appealing. As ever with these things, we'd love to hear your recommendations. We've tried to talk about the things that we use, but that by necessity means that we've ignored all the things that we don't need or don't have regular use for. But There'll be a whole yep. bunch of people listening to this who have recommendations for different types of spending pattern, different needs. I know amongst our audience, we've got families spread, you know, all over the world and things. So, what works well for you. Is anything that we've mentioned let you down and how has it let you down? Yeah. Or what's your strategy for getting a, the services that you need and then being reliable and always available to you? So please do let us know. That'd be really interesting. You can find us at 361podcast.com where you can leave us a comment on the episode. There's a contact sheet there that you can send us private feedback if you prefer to do it that way. The other thing you can do is you can find us on Mastodon. We are at 361podcast at mastodon.social. We are also on Twitter if it's still working, but don't (laughs) encourage them, I would say. Okay, gents, a long one this week, but we didn't manage to snigger uh, Rafe Blanford's uh, gold mines or uh, diamond fortune. So uh, (laughs) I I think I've given myself a pass. So thanks very much, gents. It was lovely to see you. And uh, we will be back. See ya. Bye-bye.
2: Are we chatting though?
0: Yes, I don't want to talk about money anymore. Yeah, I want to talk about spending it. <laughs> My mice, Mises Mices. what's the the correct collective noun? What computer mice? Oh yeah. What do you use? Same as you. You've got so you've got the I've got I'm, I'm waving. <laughs> again, works brilliant in an audio podcast. That helps. I'm waving the Logitech MX Master Three. Yep, in front of you, McCloud. I've got three of them. I have many Logitech MX Master products.
2: After your recommendation, I've got the keyboards and the mice. I've got one for the office, which I, I'm no longer in. That's in the bag. And then I've got one that is in my suitcase, keyboard and mouse. And then I've got the physical here.
0: I'm having a problem. So love these products. They are so comfortable. And I've got yep. a couple of different ones. And I've even got the, what's it called? The, I think it's called the curve. It's the sort of the upright ergonomic one in my okay. mouse in this range. And, when my wrist was hurting with RSI, I used that for a change, and it was really good. I love these products. But Logitech has upgraded the software, so they now have this software called Options Plus, which is the kind of the software that yeah. sits alongside. Yeah. And I've pretty extensively customised my mouse, so the oh buttons, dear. the scroll, yeah. everything. So it's, just how I, it's just how yeah. I like it. And every so often, the Options software goes, oh! Ah! Your mouse is disconnected and the mouse keeps working. So it's still connected wirelessly. It's all working, but it's almost as if like somebody's kind of unplugged the fuse and the mouse goes back to being like a kind of a a generic mouse and the, the scrolling direction and everything changes back to the whatever it is the default.
2: Logi Options Plus.
0: Yeah, see, I just,
2: I downloaded it then. New Mac didn't bother.
0: Yeah, I've been having desperate problems with it. And actually I thought I'd solved it. There's a brilliant app. I thoroughly recommend it called better touch tool b t t right and it's basically this kind of Swiss army knife for input devices. It can do a million things, but right. what it allowed me to do is you can go through all the different types of input devices because i want i don't i don't how do you use it on a mouse when I scroll towards me we're using the little scrolly wheel when I pull my yeah. finger towards me, I want the page to go down, so I almost feel like my finger is on an iPad, and when my finger moves down the imaginary iPad, the page goes down like it would, you know, Oh yeah. like I'm moving the content. But then when I'm on a trackpad setting, I don't know, is that natural or oh, I never whatever know. the thing I know, is, I, yeah. it's the wrong way on the trackpad. And it's almost as if I want one setting for the trackpad and one setting for the mouse, but Mac OS just sort of, you know, applies both. Do it the way Steve says. Well, but it applies the same setting to both. So you can ch- you can set it how you like but you can't have them the opposite for different hardware devices. So better touch tool, let me reconfigure that. And it was just working. I was really pleased with myself that I basically eliminated the Logitech software. And then all of a sudden, the MX Master mice have got these sideways scrolly wheels on the side, which I use for scrolling left to right horizontally on wide pages. I use that with my thumb just on a scrolly there. And then that started going backwards the opposite direction to the way I liked today as well. And I can't for the life of me work out why. It's almost as if the Logitech software is sitting in the middle and then just sort of forgets about the mouse and it goes back to some kind of default.
2: Yeah, I didn't find it reliable enough to use.
0: It's really bonkers because these are such beautiful, lovely... Keyboards, right? As well, yeah. ...mice to use. They're so comfy and I really like the keyboards. It's just devastating. And I can't for the life of me work out what it is that changes. So there you go. There's a sort of an unmitigated winch. I want to know if anyone's got any recommendations on... Why these mice are behaving oddly, or how I can get these mice to do what I want with no Logitech software? Because the thing is, I can't have no software. Why not? Because I need to change the scrolling speed. For example, when the Logitech software is not installed, the scrolling speed is way too fast.
2: You can change that in the
0: Mac, though. But I want to be able to change it individually per input device, because the scroll on one mouse and the scroll on another mouse is different.
2: Oh, oh! I just keep it simple. Fair enough. No, see, uh, yeah, you, you're you're wanting too much here. <laughs> <laughs> Says Mister Downland to the right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, y- yes, but my expectations are set. Yeah. In that, you know, what you're wanting here is yeah, and I can see why you're so annoyed because I did when I downloaded oh, it. Then it stopped working. I thought, oh, what is the point? You know, if you can't make this stuff reliable, Logitech, the software, you're know, on a Mac, right? And the, the, yeah. it's an MX Mac keyboard I've got. Yes. Yeah, you know, come on come on oh, don't use it
0: and that's the problem is i've now got the muscle memory yeah. for it working how i've liked because i've had it that way for years yeah and now all of a sudden it just suddenly stops and uh. it's almost like that thing of i much have to reboot my mac not because the mac's playing up but because i need to just kick logitech software into gear
2: well i've got other news for you go on by the way on the motion sensors i've managed to get them working oh i don't know what i've done right this is free in, in particular it's a danish brand and i i, I was quite frustrated in the podcast last week i think it was last last week but i have managed to get them working now but so just don't breathe don't breathe they are working
0: if i had to guess mm. which i'm about to because i have no information i'd say that you've added enough devices in to make a suitable mesh now and all those devices are talking to each other yeah. in a mesh and they've got reliable connectivity now maybe yeah because are any of the new devices that you've added smart home devices you've added powered plugged in to a socket, or are they all battery No, battery-powered? no, they're
2: not. They're all battery. But they may, oh. maybe just positioning, I don't know. Another query for you, I'm wondering if I should get a lawnmower, robo-mower, for that front garden. Right. That's front garden, right, which is quite small and modest. But I'm wondering, is that just an invitation to steal it <laughs> if I have it running up and down at night?
0: You live in a very posh neighbourhood. I don't know if it will get stolen or not. But they're heavy, those Lord mowers as well, aren't they? So I don't know if they'd be easy to steal.
2: Well the the Bosch one I had was locked to my account. Yes. You know, so even if you stole it, cool. It is locked. Just like an iPhone. But then you can steal it for parts. So, so I was just wondering, is that a silly thing to do, anything?
0: I was thinking of you the other day because I saw a video on YouTube about this really, really high end mower that could Go up sort of slopes and deal with all kinds of things. It, it was so high end, it used GPS sensing for the location. So, wow. you know how with most garden mowers, you need to put some kind of laundry yeah, around the edge of your yes. garden, it might be a wire or something. This worked off GPS and it had a wireless transmitter from the mower to a, like a base station. And the base station had a GPS antenna actually, wow. you know, pointing up in the air. I think it's called LUBA, L U B A. It looks a bit like sort of a Star Wars aesthetic because it kind of got a black and white kind of look. looks like a Stormtrooper. Nice. But it had these really cool wheels So as well. So obviously it has the big back wheels, but as part of not getting trapped in holes and things in the lawn. And this one's Ooh. supposed to be able to go up.
2: Does one acre, it says on this video.
0: I mean, I think I, the one I saw was for an, was an American chap who had this huge you know, area, a huge house and this huge yard that he was mowing. But this one also, it has, I don't know how to describe it, perimeter-free wire. Come on. So it's front steering wheels. It doesn't just steer by kind of doing differential on the back wheels. It's got these front wheels where they turn like normal wheels, but then they also have, I'm trying to describe sort of uh, circles that run. In the other direction. So basically it can, can, so that was an awful description, but you know what I mean? Yes. It can turn sideways basically because its wheels can drive in two directions. It can drive forwards, but it can also drive crab-like sideways because the wheels have wheels within wheels attached to them. Uh, There'll be a link in the show notes, the horrible job I've done of describing it.
2: Oh my God, this is amazing. Quick setup with no perimeter wire. It's 2,000. Eight hundred
0: ninety-nine pounds. There's three versions. I think I saw when I followed the link on his video. And one nine nine. There is one nine 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 one. Yeah, yeah. They're all huge, huge money. I'd never heard the brand before, so I don't know if they're any good. But he was raving about them. But it was very much that you know, kind of what could you get if you bought like the absolute best robot Loma? But I wouldn't put one of those in your front garden because that no, would definitely no.
2: get nicked. <laughs> oh dear. And then what Hetty, sorry, my wife, was suggesting is why don't we just do it the same way we do the um, the vacuum, the robot vacuum cleaners.
0: Just carry it.
2: Um, yeah, she just, ca- so she just carries it around the house. So right, again, just presses the button and it does it because we've got a few steps and stuff that the, these things can't go over.
0: I wait on the edge of my seat to hear how the grass cutting at uh, McLeod Towers progresses. You know what Rafe would do? What was that? You'd just buy a, a herd of goats or sheep or something to keep the grass down. It's a good idea. Lamas.
2: Lamas. <laughs> Lamas. Yeah. <laughs>